Welcome to the Something Admired podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Haber, and I look forward to opening the space to share inspiring conversations with those I admire. Join me weekly as we dive into inspiring leaders, teachers, and thinkers that have a story to tell. With a desire to connect, and more importantly, a craving to learn, this podcast was born. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it is that the world needs more stories being shared and admirable moments that embed in our memories. And with great pleasure, let us begin together. Hello and welcome back to Something Admired. I am so grateful I'm sitting here with you today and looking back down the tunnel of the past few weeks, I feel like it's been such a whirlwind and being able to sit down and have these conversations with those I admire, different teachers and mentors and friends and yeah, just really insightful conversations. So I'm really grateful that each week these get to roll out and every bit of your feedback and every message sent to me so far really keeps me going, really inspires me to continue this work that I've always wanted to do for so long. Put a voice to these questions and these conversations. And today is a conversation that is one very near and dear to my heart. I'm speaking with Lucy and Luce is my co-sponsor. We will dive into everything on what that is, what that looks like. And yeah, so we just share our parallels to our own recovery stories. So everything from codependency to our childhoods and upbringings, addictions, and yeah, just a really honest conversation with two humans who are still navigating this world and are not recovered, but are recovering and what that looks like, what that means to us and everything in between. So it's one that I, I honestly don't share openly about this part of my journey um, very openly. So it's something I'm really grateful to be able to touch on and inspire others who are on this journey or are curious about this journey. I hope that you can find some insight and I will link all of the little topics that we've shared on today in the show notes. So you can have access to a little bit more information that way. And with all that being said, let's get into it. And I really am grateful for this organic conversation that Lucy and I had in the little safe nook in my kitchen. And now this is out in the world and open for your ears and hearts. And yeah, we'll, we'll dive in and let's begin. And I will see you next week. So thank you again for listening. And if today's conversation inspires you, please do share with a friend or someone who you feel may gain insight from whatever we have spoken about or are speaking. All right, I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Luz. Hey, so. It's good to have you here. Really good. 
So those listening, I know Lucy because Lucy's my co-sponsor and I've known you for, has it been almost five years now? Almost five years. Mm. Mm, five years, I think in October. Yeah. Okay. Wow. For me. For me. Yeah. And we, yeah, today we're going to kind of dissect and dive into what that means for us, what co-sponsorship means, our own personal recovery story, and codependency, and what that looks like in all shapes and forms. Juicy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get straight into it. Let's just break the ice and Why go not? through all the layers. Why not? Um, so, what does co-sponsorship mean to you? Wow, co-sponsorship. So, for anyone... Um, who's not familiar with 12 step. Um, it's uh, a little like a, a mentoring situation. Um, and it has been going on for quite some time and co-sponsorship is slightly different because, uh, when you co-sponsor with someone, it's more like a collaborative, um, effort. You work together, um, you work together on the journey of, of 12 step and recovery. Um, and you get to have someone do that with you, uh, at the same time, which I find is really cool. Um, so co-sponsorship for me, is, I mean, it's many things, um, but that's the bare bones of it. That's the basic description. Mm. Um, but I would also say that, um, it's a way, uh, it's a relationship that I get to have, which keeps me accountable um, and also uh, allows me to practice new healthy behaviors that I wouldn't practice in other relationships necessarily. Well, I would do eventually, but it starts with me and my relationship with you as my co-sponsor. Mm. I would be practicing that with Sophie uh, and then I would take it out into the world. So it's, uh, it's just an incredibly, um, it's a gift. It is. And I feel like I can be sitting next to you now, feeling like I've known you for so many years, yet we've only spent, I would say, a handful of times together in the physical flesh. Yeah. Um, and so it's just such an intimate connection, I find, that you know, over these years, watching you grow and go into all these different ways and modalities that you've explored yourself and that I've witnessed everything in between and I feel mm. like I know so much about you mm-hmm. and yes. yet it's only been five years yeah and it, it is it's really intimate um and I think I probably know you in a way other people don't um and as you said you know it's the fun it's a funny thing because physically yeah we probably have seen each other in the first more than five times more than five times. but we talk once a year pretty much daily we do oh every set every cup you know every second day it probably it really it would it would be a very rare thing if i went a week without talking to sophie mm. without talking to you mm. <laughs> same for me yeah. and it's funny because so often people are like you know who's lucy like who's <laughs> i feel like you're my secret weapon that is just yeah always there and yeah like I guess co-sponsorship too it's this idea it's this actual physical it's it's kind of a backbone to recovery as well and it's that 
hand on your back knowing I have I got you when you fall but I also got you when it's time to grow yes exactly it really is a backbone it's um yeah it's really unique Mm. it's really unique I haven't had a relationship like it yeah and it's a funny it's like I often think about how we're a bit like it's a bit it's funny we're a bit of an odd couple in a way because you know we wouldn't have had a relationship if it wasn't for Coda if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for 12 Step because I'm more than a decade older than yeah. you um but and and you know it's like sometimes I'm like it's crazy how it works anyway mm-hmm. um and I do think we're quite different with our personalities which is also really interesting and I think that's why co-sponsorship works as a relationship because you can be you know um really different in your personalities and you can be um different in many ways uh even age wise but we have a um we have something that connects us and that's the bigger picture of of recovery so that's co-sponsorship it kind of um it bridges a lot of gaps Mm, it does and let's like step back i guess a bit even pre-sponsorship and pre recovery because I think these words can be really big and to dissect them deeper maybe let's talk about our journey prior to because today we're going to speak about codependency and how coda what the fellowship is and specifically on that journey but let's maybe backtrack on what our own personal recovery stories are what brought us to where we are now Mm -hmm. and essentially I guess how we got in this position of being co-sponsors okay do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> Thanks. Let's go. Um, for me, my story of recovery, I feel like goes pretty hand in hand with my childhood. I think it definitely started at an early age for me. So for those listening, I'm 26 at the moment. And where, yeah, I think where it all kind of the crossroads started for me was around I grew up with an immense amount of anxiety. I was diagnosed with OCD. And at the time, with what I knew how to, I guess, process and be with my younger self and the feeling realm, I only knew anxiety. And what that looked like was, yeah, being raised with a very loving family, actually. I I have a very loving family, and I'm very grateful for that. And I know that they only you know, were able to hold me with where they were at at that time. And granted, I'm the first child. And I think the first child really teaches the parents how to be parents. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah, I was sort of a loose cannon when it came with, when it came to my anxiety and not really knowing how to feel. So I think going from the extreme of feeling too much and actually knowing that anxiety isn't a feeling, it's a state where I keep my feelings at bay. And what that looked like was essentially I was boundless. I really had no boundaries at an early age. I wasn't taught or aware of how to feel my own feelings. So essentially I was a sponge to my surroundings. And I think growing up there was a lot of movement in my life there was you know we were moving from town to town um there was a lot of big emotions I think between my parents and my siblings and just a lot going on and so I think it sort of fell onto my shoulders subconsciously of this is how you process and hold a family together so I think 
in reality, I internalized that and really noticed that, okay, this is how I deal with what is going on in my surroundings and that's to feel anxiety just 24 seven. And so how that really played out into my life was, um, yeah, I went on medication for many years for anxiety and that kept my feelings at bay even more. So I think it did help me for a period of time until it didn't. And the, and again, speaking, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with medication, but for my personal story, what that taught me was to kind of put a bandaid over something for so long and then, um, rip it off and know that that feeling, that layer of numbness was my entryway into the layers of feeling what's underneath that. And so granted, I moved across the world to Australia and during that time, I think, yeah, just a lot going on in my personal family. My parents got divorced and that was another band-aid being ripped open of um, the family that I knew and that felt really scary because at the time I felt I needed to really keep my family together and so then long story short moved to Australia and yeah moved essentially somewhere where I didn't know a soul except for my partner and his family and we all moved over together and so what reared its head again was that layer of anxiety and unmanageability of having, yeah, just old feelings come up around the inability to feel and actually process what was going on. So there came anxiety again. And I fell into this process of trying to find tools and resources and I feel like I grew up going to therapy my whole life and really made comfort in a therapist's office. And actually, what was really fascinating was the farthest place across the world away from my family was my place of refuge. And I guess starting to then dive into what my family of origin gifted me, the opportunity to, I guess, find myself in a new environment and so I, yeah, I stumbled upon this acupuncture, <laughs> God bless him, who really opened my eyes to the world of feeling. You know, he put it straight forward and he said, anxiety is not a feeling. Um, and I think you are, yeah, essentially what happened was I started to feel my feelings and I noticed that it was safe to feel feelings and in a way is a psychotherapist mixed with a, a form of psychotherapy mixed with acupuncture and that really brought me back into my body on the physical realm and then also um yeah just learning to feel the layers of feeling so I think the first one for me was anger and then all these different levels and he mentioned to me one session like you know you should look up the word codependency and I thought fuck you I'll never do that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it took me a while didn't come back for a little while and then I yeah one night looked it up and read the characteristics and could relate on so many different levels and yeah I walked into my first meeting almost five years ago and 
Yeah, that's where my kind of story began. So I think it really started with the inability to feel. Mm. Yeah, I relate to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, uh, yeah, I relate to the inability to feel. Um, and, you know, my childhood was uh, similar in the sense that um, we, I didn't really have a safe place to feel feelings. Um, and I learned quite young, by 13, I learned that I could use substances like alcohol, uh, mostly alcohol and pot. Um, I, I used a lot of that um, to numb all of my feelings. Um, and, you know, of course, that was part of the culture. You know, there was, it was totally normalized. Um, all my friends were like that, everyone I knew. So it was not um, hard for me to go along with that. So this is in my teen years. Um, and then, you know, I, I just kept going that way. Um, and the reason I ended up in CODA, um, was that I had a, um, I have my husband who I'm still with now. Um, we got to a point in our marriage where, um, it was a, it was a real crisis point. Um, it just, it was almost like the way I'd probably describe it is that all of the dysfunctional patterns that we'd picked up from childhood um, weren't working anymore. So we were running on an old program. We were running on all these really dysfunctional old patterns and um, and that worked for a little while, uh, but it got to the point where we just couldn't kind of relate like that anymore. Uh, it was a real crossroads moment. Um, and I was just in a lot of emotional pain. Um, and, you know, I was... To that point, I feel like the way that I'd been coping was control. Um, so I really controlled myself. I controlled my family. I controlled my husband. Um, I can, and I, I really focused on other people's lives a lot um, rather than my own. You know, like I could lose, I could lose time um, trying to solve other people's problems. This is all before recovery. Uh, you know, I remember just like sometimes I, I had this reputation in my friend circles that like I was the I was the person you'd come to if you wanted advice. Um, and I was really like proud of that badge. Um, and I really loved it. Like I definitely got something out of that. Like people will come to me and they'll talk to me about their problems and then I get to fix it. You know, I get to give them advice and, um, be that savior, um, for that person. And, it just wasn't healthy um, and I was constantly meddling um, and getting out of my own lane and you know <laughs> telling people what to do and I, I to even to the point and I know we talk about this in recovery where like I, I really relate to many of the control patterns but you know like I would give people advice and then I'd get annoyed when they wouldn't take it like I would actually take it personally and I would follow them up. Like I'd give them advice and then two days later, did you do that thing I told you to do? And they'd say no. And I'd be like, excuse me, what? Like, this is not how it works. If everyone would just do what I would, I say, then it will all work out perfectly, right? You know, if everyone could just do what I'm telling them to do all the time, then my life will be comfortable. And that's where I lived. And it was really, really painful. And it was a very, very, it was not really a way to live, honestly. It was more survival. Um, and of course, I was using alcohol mostly at that point um, to just numb everything and not really have to feel stuff. So I came into recovery. I came into 
um, a particular therapist um, and similar situation and he we worked through it and he he told me about codependency I wrote a book um, and it was incredibly confronting um, but it was like I was reading this book going this person has had a camera in my house um, and they've been recording me and they've written a book about me that's how much I related to codependency um, and luckily for me, you know, there's a, there's a solution to it. Um, and that happens to be uh, a 12 step, step program um, of recovery. And um, so I started going to those meetings uh, similar to Sophie about five years ago. Um, and it's just changed everything. So before CODA, really my life was unmanageable. I was in survival mode. And now that I'm in 12 step, you know, I have, as I talked about before, you know, I have new programs to live my life. You know, I talked about before about all these dysfunctional patterns that I had and really was riddled with, to be honest. Um, but, you know, in CODA, I get patterns, new patterns that are able to take over those old ones. Um, and, and I'm able to utilize those in my everyday life. So my, my life now in CODA is uh, much more grounded. I'm in reality. I can feel my feelings. My relationships flourish. Um, I'm able to hold boundaries. I have many boundaries. And I've, I did not even know the word boundary before CODA. I, had, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, but I have a million of them now. And they're healthy. They're not walls. I used to have walls. Not boundaries. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now I have boundaries. Um, so I'm healthier. I'm much healthier. And I know that Soph could definitely attest to that. Um, watching over the past five years, how I feel we've both, I mean, I can only really speak for myself, how I've really gone from a level of insanity um, to living most of the time quite sane and mm. with sanity. And that's a, it's just... It's living. It's actually living. I'm actually living my life now. Um, and yeah, I'm just more connected. I'm more plugged in and I want to be on the planet. I don't want to run away as much now. Um, so that's me now in recovery and in 12 step. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way because uh, it's, it really is just oh, the best way to be. It's, it's a secret weapon. Hmm. Hmm. I really relate on so many levels and I feel like maybe let's just dissect codependency in the way okay. of what that looks like what it means to us personally mm -hmm. and yeah I guess I can say for myself that what codependency relates to in my eyes is this needing to change or fix someone else something else or some situation so granted for me, I think personally it was needing to fix, um, yeah, whatever surroundings I was in, my emotional state. Um, yeah, so I also think it, it really has a, a lot of roots in the feeling realm. So with the way our emotions work and the way the f feelings work and also underneath that, I think addiction on all levels and maybe let's even dive into that addiction like what because I know codependency is a form of addiction yes. and that's what is said in a lot of the rooms it's and... a behavioral addiction mm -hmm. um, I mean and I feel uh, I've, there's a lot of people out there that could define it in a really great way but one of the definitions that I found pretty um, 
brutal but also very helpful um, was that being codependent is like being a little person in a big person's body which is incredibly stressful so mm. we're actually a, a, like a child or a small mm. yeah a little person and but we're living in an adult body and we're living we're supposedly living these adult lives mm. but we're this little person and you know we have to grow up in program that's what we do in 12 step so codependency is a state of and they the person i've read would say it's a state of immaturity which I found to be um, quite a hectic word when I first heard it, but it was true for me. I was really immature in many ways, emotionally and um, spiritually and many other ways I was, was immature and that can be codependency. You can have this state of um, where you, it's like arrested development. So you got to a certain age and then you kind of didn't develop as much as you should have um, emotionally. Uh, and codependency yeah it's quite wild mm. you can feel really scary and really out of control so therefore you know of course you're going to try and control everything in your life because you feel so in, out of control yourself um but it, it's subtle and it can be hard to pinpoint um but yeah. yes codependency technically yeah is isn't it it's a behavioral addiction mm. It is. And I would like say loosely that everyone is codependent in essence, but there is this level of how the unmanageability runs your life. Mm. So I think at my crossroads, it was a level of, yeah, wanting to escape, wanting to run away, not wanting to feel, really not being able to cope with day-to-day basis. Yeah. And that's when I knew that it was time for a new way. Um, And I'm so curious because I know for me, looking back on the meetings, so for instance, with Codependence Anonymous, it's similar to AA or these other programs and 12-step groups. What was it like for you walking into a first meeting? Oh, shit scared. Mm. (laughs) What kind of question is that? (laughs) Don't be scared though. No, it's... (laughs) Yeah, I was I was terrified, but also at the same time, there was enough, there was a bigger part of me that was like, you need this and you need to be in this room. So I felt quite scared going to my first meeting in particular. Um, but then there was, there was like a voice in me going, you need to go back. Because whilst I felt scared walking into the, that room um, and hearing people just be so vulnerable uh, and so honest and authentic was mind-blowing um and I just knew I got relief you know I felt relief after I would go to a meeting and I still do to this day um the it's not as dramatic as it was in that first year because obviously I was in so much pain emotional pain that yeah the, the relief um was more I guess a bit more noticeable um but yeah there was the, I, I had to keep going back because I there was just something about it that I needed to be there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was quite scary at first. Mm. Um, you too? Same. Yeah. It was terrifying. I remember there was a really big table, a lot of people. Yeah. I think more than more than I've ever really experienced a meeting. There was like triple the size. And granted, like I live in a small town and I feel like everyone knows each other. And so I was terrified of A, seeing someone I knew and B... It just felt so vulnerable to be seen. And I think that's the first layer that I, I can feel really safe in is when I feel seen and when I feel heard. 
And for context, someone listening, I guess in a sense, you know, how the program works essentially is you can show up to a meeting. There's, you know, an online uh, website where you can look at different meetings in your area and they are by donation based and it is really run by the members in the program. And so everyone there is just doing their own time and essentially working on their own recovery. And so for me, when I, when I walked into the meeting, I knew that this was going to be a long-term thing for me. I knew in my bones, I was terrified of coming back, but I knew that something stronger kept pulling me back Mm -hmm. and I can't describe the feeling, but I just knew that I felt safe in those rooms to feel what was going to come up. And then I think from there, I went to a few meetings. I don't know how long, how far into it. I can't really remember that we got connected. It's pretty soon. Yeah, it was pretty soon because you start the 14 days and we do that. And that's what we did. We did the first 14 days where you have to do. Yeah, we didn't do that together. We did not do that together. I remember I did some with, it with someone else. I had to crack the whip with you a bit. Yeah, start. you did. I was so <laughs> resistant and in so much fucking denial. That, that was my first boundary. Mm. There you go. It was. Mm, probably. It was. And I was terrified and fucking livid at her. I was like, either I'm not going to respond to this woman or I'm going to stay and hold on for dear yeah. life and have a run for my money. I'm so glad you did. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I did set that boundary and I'll tell everyone why because um, Soph... <laughs> Soph didn't want to do it. And I'm probably, you know, we, we t- I talked about how our personalities are quite different. And, you know, like when I first came to Coda, I was like, I just wanted to go hard. You know, like I just wanted to be the, like, a grade student. Let's get this done. Like, let's charge through it. And mm. Soph's a little bit more... Um, free form than me and organic <laughs> would you say that's a mm. description okay good spot on um so you know i she didn't get back to me and she was floating along and she didn't want to do the work and i just was like i really want to do this so i i, I held a boundary and i said you know i really i'm really keen to get started on this step work um you know are you gonna do it like are we gonna do this or not if you're not gonna do it I'm gonna have to find someone else I don't know if I said that but yeah it was something similar to that you know I really want I'm keen and I need someone to come with me basically Mm. um and that was scary for me um to set that but you know since then um boundaries have gotten a lot easier but yeah she um thankfully stuck with it Mm. and did it Mm. imagine if you'd flaked I am actually really grateful for that and that moment changed my life because that was a pattern that I always grew up doing is like you know I only do things that are easy for me and if it's what I want to do and I didn't want to do it and so I wouldn't do it unless someone told me hey I'm I got your back and I want to do this are you with me yeah Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, mm. I th- and I think that's the coolest part about this program is how we can look at our patterns. It is. You know, like that you could look at that pattern. I know we've discussed it many times, the mm. pattern of, um, you know, I just, I only want to do it if it feels good. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we learn in 12 step? We learn to do things we don't want to do, yeah. which is being an adult. It you is. Know, it's being an adult in an adult world. That might piss some people off when I say that. 
but it's true like you know if you in and i was the queen of that too mm. like i was like i don't want to i i had done so many courses i'd done so many things like i and i just didn't stick to things like it, i i just let it go when it got hard yeah um and so it's like the perfect 12 step is like the perfect breeding ground for actually learning how to do things we don't feel like doing but exactly that it's self-care because you know the idea that self-care is just bubble baths which by the way are amazing and it's definitely part of it mm. but for me I've had to learn that like self-care there's a fine line for me between self-care and indulgence mm. I can indulge myself for a very long time because of addiction right you know like I could be addicted to something that feels really good and I can do it forever. If I if it feels good, I'll probably keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, yeah, I'm just, I know I'm going a little bit on a tangent here, but learning about the pattern that I had around um, only doing things that feel, feel good and just continuing to do that um, was just not really, it's not really being in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had to have a wake up call around that. No, you got to do things you don't feel like doing. Like Mm. you don't always feel like going to a meeting. Mm. You don't always feel like doing your step work. You don't always feel like doing outreaches, like whatever it is. Mm. Um, But yeah, I've I've had the privilege now and the honor to now know in my life um, how it looks and what it feels like when I do actually stick to things that I don't feel like doing and the results and the rewards that I gain from that are amazing. So Mm. there's a bit of a tangent for you on, on patterns. I love that you brought that up. Because it, it reminds me, too, of how I do one thing, how I do this, show up for you, show up for my meetings, show up for my recovery, show up for self-care, is how I do everything in life. It's how I deal with going to the mm-hmm. grocery store or making breakfast or showing up for my partner, um, my family, all of it. It all comes back to this foundation. And I think for me, what it also is really built is a foundation, it really set a foundational ground for me to then build off of and learn how to do the building blocks. Mm-hmm. And I also love that you touched on self-care and the flip side of it of, yeah, because I think so much of the time self-care can be this woo-woo word of like, you know, chocolate and bubble baths and all the fancy schmancy things. But actually underneath it too, self-care is doing the hard things doing the hard things but also doing the, <clears throat> the ordinary things and the things yes. that are mundane and simple and for me sometimes that looks like actually <laughs> oftentimes it looks like getting in my car on a saturday when what i really want to be doing is going to the beach or watching that watching that <laughs> bridgerton <laughs> not into it see we're different <laughs> it's good that's funny (laughs) but I get in my car and I go to a meeting and I show up not only for myself but I show up for other people because I think that's that's right also the fact is I'll show up for myself but on the other side when I go into these rooms when I go into this meeting there's other people waiting for me and Mm -hmm. like what you just mentioned with personally our own co-sponsorship there's someone on the other side it's not not all about me we have to learn that Mm. I was so self-involved. Mm. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, obsessed. Mm. <laughs> mm. So that's why it's it. the cornerstone of recovery is service, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. I need that because, you know, my programming means that I can um, be really self-involved. And when you hear the word self-involved, it 
you know, I had to kind of learn about that too. It can just be that you're really self-involved because you are feeling so many strong feelings, for example, that you have to constantly be focused on managing yourself. Mm. That can be self-involvement. Um, and that was true for me as well. You know, it's all, it can be like, it's all about me. Like everything mm-hmm. that happens is like, it's happening to me or because of me. It's like the world revolves around Lucy. Right. And mm. like, it's just, I, I just really have to have to learn and continue to have to learn that in 12 mm. step. And that's why we, we do service. Um, Definitely. Because we learn it's not just about us and that actually everyone has problems and stuff going on, um, not just us. And I think it touches on the relatability factor as well. Like I feel not so alone when I go to those meetings Mm. or when I hear someone speak because I can relate to it. And in every essence, I know I'm going to touch on this because for me, this is a huge part of my journey is this pendulum swing between feeling completely less than and that victim stuck in the sludge of poor me and um nobody loves me and I'm a complete shit to every you know everyone around me to then getting on my high horse putting myself on a pedestal and essentially looking at everyone from bird's eye view thinking everyone is less than me so it really fluctuates between one day I can feel completely less than and another day I can feel so righteous and Mm -hmm. arrogant and I think really what I've also learned to diffuse that and pop a needle in it. And it's still obviously a work in progress, but it's been by showing up and being able to relate and know that, Hey, everyone's just doing the best they can with what they know. And that it's actually my way of separating myself from someone else. And that, yeah, like that is a defense mechanism that I've grown up with for so long to hold myself at a distance from someone else because I was too scared to feel vulnerable mm-hmm. or too scared that I'd be um, invaded by someone else's emotions. Uh, so what I did was kept myself very much in this pendulum swing. Either small or too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. as we say, you know, you got to be right-sized. Yeah, you do. That's some program talk. That's true. And, it, and that's what, you know, the meetings bring us back to our right size. Um, and, yeah, interestingly, talking about, you know, being being humbled, I think, feel like, you know, humility is what I receive. And I've never had that in any other, anything that I've ever done. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm humbled constantly mm. by the 12-step process. Um, and, you know, it is a spiritual program, which we haven't really talked about too much yet. But, it, you know, it is a spiritual program. And we talk about how everything we're going through in life is, you know, it's, it's a, a spiritual dilemma and that there's a spiritual solution to that. Um, yeah, so the right size thing is good. I need that. I need to be in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Let's dissect that. So when Lucy says a spiritual program... I think for me, the one thing that did turn me away from a 12-step group or actually stepping foot into it was one, they were often in churches, which I grew up actually quite confused. I went to a um, Jewish preschool and then I went to a Christian middle school and then I went to God knows who, where, you know, all the different stages and growing up in a family where religion was, um, you know, one-sided and then knowing that it actually was, yeah, my family kind of grew up with these traditions, but I was never religious per se. Mm-hmm. 
And so I kind of never really related to Christianity or any of these religions that um, I associate a church with. And so it's really, it really kind of turned me away from actually stepping foot in there because I felt that it gave this connotation to showing up on a Sunday, going to a sermon, and that whole idea. And also they mentioned God within the language of things. And so I think for me, yeah, it felt really scary. And I think I'm, I'm actually reflecting on it now. What felt scary about it was handing it over to someone else. Yeah, and because also, we're control freaks. Mm, mm, <laughs> fully. Well, this terrifying idea of letting go of control. Yeah. It's terrifying. Mm. It's terrifying. But we do it in baby steps yeah. in program. And actually also asking for help. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which we don't. That's often a part of being codependent is we're hyper-independent. Hyper um, we never ask for help. We do everything ourselves. So... Yeah, coming into program. And I relate to what you're saying, you know, the God word is, um, it's a loaded word and a lot of people struggle with it. But um, the coolest thing about 12 step is this freedom. Like we just have the freedom to choose the God of our understanding. Mm. It could be, it could be the ocean, you know, in, and I obviously I mentor quite a few people in this program. Um, I take them through the steps myself. And so I've heard many people talk about how they struggle with the concept of God or the concept of a higher power. And, you know, in the early stages, that makes sense. Like it, it it's a very, it's, it's, I mean, how do you even grasp that mm. on an intellectual level? Cause it's not intellectual, it's spiritual. It's something you experience on a body level, yeah. a spiritual level. So, you know, of course, when you knew the program words like God, high power, it's like, it's really confusing. Um, but you know, like I would talk to people that I mentor and I'd say, you know, it's just about something other than you. Mm -hmm. you know you're not god your husband's not god your children aren't god your friends aren't god none of these people your food's not god alcohol's not god all these things right they're not higher power um so as long as it's not one of those things then you know you're beginning and they've taken the first step so you know it could be like i said the ocean or nature or like anything and in fact you can be atheist and be in the program mm. so it accepts all people from all different backgrounds and it's uh, uh, there's no enforcement around that mm. um and we all get to choose our own path and our own um way around that but it, it ultimately it is a spiritual program and you know for me spirituality was the missing piece mm. um you know when you don't have a higher purpose for your life or if you don't have something that's greater than you it can quite quickly become quite, you know, dark and um, purposelessness. Like there's no purpose um, and you can feel lost because if it's just you, what, what's the point? Like why? Yeah. Like I used to come to that in my early 20s. By the way, I'm 39. I'm quite a bit older than so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, it would be like I, I would go into these existential crises. Like, what's this about? Why am I here? All this mm -hmm. stuff. Well, if you don't have a higher power, of course you're going to feel that way. Mm. It's hard when it's all on you. It's don't, you know, I just say to people, don't do that to yourself. Um, yeah. it's, it's so comforting to have a higher power of your own understanding. And you can come to that in your own time. Um, but yeah, the, the religion thing, uh, it's, it's not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. Yeah. I'm really glad we touched on that. Cause I think that was one of the things that really did turn me away from actually committing and stepping into the rooms. And yeah, I'm curious what being in a meeting was like for you or, or actually what drives you to the meetings. Cause I know for me personally, 
There's this notion of listening to people's stories and actually the word boundary, and I think we've mentioned Mm -hmm. it a few times and we can dissect that. That was the first layer of learning to sit with myself and be able to listen to these stories because what comes up in these meetings is anything, you know, people, how it, so essentially how, how it rolls is you, some meetings have a feeling check where you can go around and state what you're feeling or what's, yeah, like what are the feelings? What are the core emotions? And then it's open to maybe there's a specific topic that you talk about um, or reading And then it's open for the rest of the time to just share anonymously with everyone in the meeting. And for me, what drives me to those meetings is Mm. listening to people's stories. It's like, it's for me, it's, it's that aspect of sitting around a fire back in the day where I felt like, I felt like another lifetime ago where I'd sit and I'd listen to the elders or the, what I associated the wise people and hear them speak about these different life changes and sometimes it's someone speaks about a dog and how that relates to what their childhood brought them and other times well, they could have been with their dog. exactly <laughs> oh, you get everything and then other times it's you know a really really dark moment that someone's yeah. going through yeah and all they need to do is be heard and actually the one thing that was really difficult for me and and is good to say is that how the meeting goes is you're not able to cross talk so that's a big thing you 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 share for a few minutes and then everyone's silent and I remember the first time I shared and nobody said anything back to me I was terrified I thought hey isn't someone going to tell me what to do or what I need to do or how I should fix that or um, say thank you that was amazing you're so great at speaking when really the gift in that was everyone just listened and then we leave and, and go out into our day. Yeah, because we're not responsible for each other, right? Our yeah. feelings or each other's feelings. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is ultimately a practice in boundaries, the meanings. I, I, I relate to that. And, you know, to backtrack a bit, you know, we do a feelings check because a lot of people who have codependency issues don't actually know what they're feeling a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a feelings check and a lot of people, even that part of the meeting is, is a, is a revolution mm. because, you know, they've never had someone say to them, like, even as a child, what are you feeling? Yeah. Like, what, what is it? And they, it's very difficult at first sometimes to be also often because you're numb or you're either numb and you're anxious, mm. um, to actually, yeah, link in. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. Um, and you know so that's why we do a feelings check and then we have boundaries around exactly how everyone speaks it's not this free-for-all where everyone's talking over each other you know where people are giving advice and people it's not like that you know we all get our own space to talk um and then no one says anything back to us and that's powerful and Mm. it's especially powerful for a codependent because we grew up being controlled you know Mm. parents controlled us told us what to do when to do it how to do it um, and when we talk about things that were hard, we would it would generally be our, our parental figure or our friends or whatever would be fixing it or giving us advice. So, you know, it's a very special and unique place where we get to go and we get to share what's on our hearts and minds. And we do that anon- anonymously because that allows us to be honest. Um, 
we get to do that and then not have someone talk over us or talk back or any of those things. And I know that for many people who are in the program, that's incredibly healing. Um, I, I relate to what you're saying though. I more had the reaction at first where I felt incredibly uncomfortable with the silence and I was definitely an oversharer before CODA. Um, I thought I had this idea that I was really vulnerable. I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a load of shit. I'm an open book, you know, like I tell everyone everything. I was not like that. All I was doing was oversharing the stuff that was kind of on the surface level, you know, or like I was kind of doing it to just talk constantly and fill the silence. Um, but the meetings t- teach you to have boundaries around the words that you speak, the things that you say, the way that you can be more emotionally honest. Um, and it's funny, I think, that being almost five years in, I've sometimes I don't realize how profound that is because mm. like, I'm a bit more used to it now. But I know that when new people come in, they're just, they cannot believe how authentic and honest the people are in the room because mm. you just don't... I, I mean, I've certainly not really seen that anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. And it's also this idea, and I want to say another side of it too, is that when someone prior to these meetings let's say before I started recovery uh, someone would share really you know a a really heavy story or something that they were really going through that felt so vulnerable and so they'd share this and I would leave that conversation hours later and feeling really helpless and and feeling like I needed to spend the whole rest of my day helping them figure out how to fix what they're feeling or going through um, and felt really rattled and now I have this sense of awareness around they have their own higher power and they have their own tools and resources and it's not my job and role to go into the depths of you know turning my life around to help them um yes granted i'll listen to someone and you know know my boundary of when it's gone over the line and it's too much for me and i think also someone's like well how do I how do I learn boundaries and how do I get boundaries it's a somatic thing you know it really like it starts with I don't and for me it was a really subtle shift like it wasn't this whoa next day you know I feel different it was this okay I can sit and little by little I started to feel less anxious by people sharing Mm -hmm. and also I could then differentiate what I'm feeling stay with what I'm feeling and let them be in what they're feeling. Yeah. So I think that's a boundary for me. Oh, yeah. So the, we, we talk about internal boundaries and external mm. boundaries. I, I think it was probably around after step five that we started True. getting boundaries, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Because <laughs> I remember a moment, and I don't know if I said it to you, where I was like, all of a sudden, organically, I just had boundaries. Mm. Um, I do think it's intellectual at first and that's okay. Mm. Um, you know, it's like an intellectual understanding at first. So that's a boundary. How do I do that? You know, and you can have practical steps around it. Um, but then it gets to a point where it is more intuitive. You feel it on a body level. I I do. Yeah. It's a body thing for me. It's like, I can feel when it's off, when it's gone too far. Yeah. Um, when I need to draw it back. And I mean, you know, it's not perfect. Like we're talking, like it's a work in progress constantly and I slip all the time. I mess up all the time. Um, but it's like, it's a learning thing. And someone said to me early on, oh, you're in the program. Um, you know, that when I was early to setting boundaries that, um, I'm going to screw it up sometimes and I'm going to go too harsh, you know, with Mm. my boundaries sometimes, like, Mm. because I don't know how to do it yet, but that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean I, you know, in the past I probably, 
before coda I would have just never done it again because I would have felt so frightened mm. but it's like I'm allowed in this process to try it out do it in a way that I feel was not the best and then I get to try again next time and you know and make an amends I mean amends is such a huge part of what we do is like we own our defects like we own and another word for that would be our, you know, our, our dysfunctional patterns. Um, we own that in ourselves and we, we, we say sorry for it when it hurts another person mm-hmm. because 100% you're human. You've hurt someone else with, with your dif- dysfunctional behaviors, which we all have because we've all had a childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Boundaries, you know, how do you do it? I, I, I often think about 12 step or coda for me being, you know, people talk about all these ways that they're trying to learn boundaries, all these, you know, courses and books and therapists and all these millions of ways that they're trying to learn boundaries. And I'm like, you just need to do CODA. Yeah. <laughs> and you're fine. It's literally, like you said, it's a blueprint. Yeah. It's a blueprint. And it's like, I, I don't need to do 3 million other things because I have one program yeah. that really does kind of do, do that yeah. for my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as I said too, like prior to CODA going to, you know, so many different therapists and trying them on and, you know, telling my life story over and over again. And then I remember in one meeting, someone saying, you know, and this is like, actually, no, I remember asking the question, how long do I have to go to these you know, when can I leave? When, you know, how long do I try this on and then I can get the fuck out of here? <laughs> and someone told me, nah, girl, it's not it's a one-time forever. thing. It's, yeah. you know, it's a life. It takes a lifetime. And in the beginning, I thought, shit, like, I really fucked up, you know? Like, man, I, why? Yeah, like, why? Why do I have to keep coming here? And it was my will that really... Mm-hmm was trying to get in the way of this idea of I'm perfect and I can be better than and I can just have the quick fix. Um, And I think we can dissect lingo, which is a fun thing too. Like one one day at a time. Yes, best saying ever. Best saying in the world. Yeah. Like, oh, seriously, if I have a really awful day and I know that it's just, just beating me up, I can know... Tomorrow's a new day. And usually she calls me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. Yes, one day at a time. Life changing. It is. (laughs) And the thing, I guess, too, is just that, yeah, one step in front of the other. You don't have to take this immense leap to, um, if you go to one meeting, great. You did the first step. Um, if you do that, you know, one little baby step, go to another meeting, try it on another, you know, step, talk to someone in the, in the meeting, you know, open up a conversation, Mm. you know, like humanly possible. Mm. If I think about the rest of my life, I'm terrified by it. Yeah. Like the sheer amount of like years that (laughs) are ahead. Mm. It's too much. Like it's too much for me on a soul level, like a spiritual Mm. level. It's like, no, I can't. And, you know, it's because we only exist in the moment. And a lot of people know that now. You know, it's, it, it is one day at a time. That's yeah. all I can handle. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and, and I'm so grateful that I know that, you know, that I don't have to do anymore. But, yeah, to touch on the forever thing around recovery, it is a funny thing because I had the fantasy um, or I was in a lot of denial, obviously, before CODA, but I had the fantasy that I could be fully healed. 
Mm. Um, <laughs> I could be fully healed and it would only take a weekend. Mm. Um, but I, I, and I mean, I still dip into that sometimes. I still flow back into the, I'm going to be fully healed and it's all going to be perfect. Um, but then I, I come back down to earth pretty quickly and understand mm. that, you know, like until the day I die, this will be a continuous journey of growing. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean like, it, it's like if I could break it down, there's a difference between healing and there's a difference between evolution. Mm. It's like we, we do heal as we go along 100% and we do evolve as we go along. But I feel like that there's a, there's this myth that we're going to get to this golden place where we'll, and, and where we won't feel anything anymore and we'll just be in this state of bliss, right? Mm. And it's like, that's not what serenity is. Like that, you know, I, and I absolutely wanted that before Coda. I was like totally addicted to spiritual practices, spiritually bypassing, getting high on spiritual practices all the time, even meditation, um, because I didn't want to feel my feelings. But true serenity is actually being able to feel your feelings and contain them mm. and not be totally blown apart by them and not have to numb yourself out. You know, like I do, I do life raw. Yeah. No substances. Like well, I do it with the help of 12 step, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a cool journey. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm grateful to do it with you. Yeah, me too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I guess another like, part of that because we can go into so many different depths and I feel like we're going to have many different sequels to this conversation but one of the amazing things about carrying out the message but also working the tools in the program let's just maybe let's just talk about our own personal tools within recovery and without recovery and how I guess we we keep working that because I want to also be really clear on I'm not healed either and I'm not um, fixed and I'm not coming from a place of I know everything and we're having this conversation to just invite others to get on this healed journey but actually speak in real terms of these are some really awesome tools that are still helping me with what life throws at me and I think one thing I also want to speak to as well is there's this built-in capacity that Maybe it's structure, maybe it's boundaries, maybe it's, I think again, like it's a spiritual practice that I'm not quite sure how to put words to, but that it's built an internal system within me where I can navigate life's ups and downs in a way that I feel more connected or grounded. And it's still sometimes and oftentimes the same situations that'll play out. But how has your life really grown and changed thus far? How has it not grown and changed <laughs> in every way? Well, I can say. Yeah, yeah. you can. <laughs> Sophie knows everything about me. Um, I'm a better, I'm a better wife. I'm a better parent. I'm a better friend. Mm. I'm a better human. Mm. I'm connected. I'm on the earth. I'm willing. I feel, I feel that emotion when I say that. Um, because you know Sophie did touch on it briefly before when we come into recovery we're often incredibly willful um and what that turns around to it what that turns into is a willingness and the willingness is so beautiful it's just so beautiful because it's this it's like a crack opens you don't have to do the whole thing and I this I'm talking about this in the sense of this is what recovery does for me in my everyday life Mm -hmm. is it reminds me that I 
I can have willingness and and just having that little bit of willingness to be open to a power greater than myself directing my life rather than me Mm. it changes everything because you know it's like until before 12 step I really I I I really had my hands so tight on the steering wheel and it was just such an awful way to live and being willing and open to have something greater than me that is caring and benevolent um, and and I'm in touch with on a daily basis um, your whole life changes you know you're no longer holding on tight like you're just open Mm. and you're there and you're in the moment you're able to be with people you're able to listen you're also able to not be engulfed by them you're able to live, you know, just it's containment. Recovery mm. is containment. Um, and it's like, no matter where I go in life, no matter what I do, there's going to be a meeting. You know, even if I went to another fellowship, whatever, like, you know, there's going to be a meeting somewhere where I am in the world, even if it's on zoom, or there's going to be my co-sponsor, um, Sophie that I can call, or there's going to be someone else in the program that I can call any time, any day mm. of the week. Like, what how do people do it without that like that's what I want to know because I really yeah I really just just love living my life now with with these boundaries and this containment from 12 steps so practically that does look like reaching out to people I know in the program it looks like mentoring others Um, as you know I do quite a lot of that mentoring others really keeps me in the program because it reminds me of you know, I have people share with me about what's going on for them and then I'm able to see, oh, that's still a thing for me. I see that in my own life. You know, there's a relatability of that. It keeps you, it's like what they, they say in program, again, some more lingo. You've got to give it away to keep it. Mm. So I give it away to keep it. You know, I give it to other people um, and I show others, you know, again, from a place that's very human, um, these are the steps that I've done. You know, maybe that will work for you and help you. And yeah, so and, and, and actually I did mean to touch on that before. Um, just one more thing. When I first came into the room, a huge rooms, a huge thing for me was that I didn't have to pay a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, because until that point I had just spent thousands upon thousands upon thousands on other spiritual programs, other courses. And for me to able to have this process that's essentially free, um, no one's there to try and take my money. No one's there trying to take, you know, advantage of me and then I'm a guru and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Um, You know, that was just, that was so comforting and also just so reassuring. I could really trust the process Mm. um, because it was, yeah, I I didn't have to pay all this money to do it. Um, So, yeah, practically speaking, I mean, it is the most practical program ever been in. There's literally 12 steps that you follow. Yeah. (laughs) And that you work on. So it is probably the most practical thing out there. Yeah. I love that you touched on that aspect of outreach. Um, And I want to just dissect the definition of that. So outreach is essentially you can put your phone number down in the meeting. So these are anonymous people. You know, they just show up, people in your community. And you put your name down, you put your number down, and then um, it's kind of similar to a meeting. You can text someone and say hey can I do an outreach and they will answer you or tell you no I don't have time and then you know you have a I think it's within 10 minutes or essentially yeah not a long period of time but you can share what's what you're going through and just be heard and you can you know essentially they won't 
try and fix you, but they can ask, can I give you advice? And they'll share on that. Um, and that's an incredible tool. I know for me that that's just one way that I connect with on a basis that is really essential. And for me, the tools that I think are really practical is, and even someone not in a fellowship can really use these tools that I'm going to mention. And one is connecting with a higher power. So learning to build that relationship where actually we're working step 11 right now. And so ironically, what that looks like is building a relationship with a higher power. And for me, that's been getting back into meditation, which I'm trying to do. Um, so on a daily basis, I think like we said, maybe it was like six minutes. We were just going to set that and do it first thing in the morning. And also one thing that I've just really felt so terrified to do because it felt really awkward was ask for help. Like kind of either I say it out loud or I say a prayer mm. or in my mind, I kind of just... I don't know, visualize something and hand it over, um, which means I'm not taking control over everything in my life and that I can ask for help. That's one practical tool, so you can literally do that anywhere. Um, Prayer is amazing. Yeah, prayer is amazing. And we actually have prayers in the program we can say we're given them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But something mystical happens in the steps, don't you reckon? I completely agree. Like I know you and I have talked about that many times over. The way we've worked a step and then the thing that's happened in the step has shown up in our life. Yeah. In real time. Yeah. Or we have these parallel things that happens to both of us and then we'll do like a call to each other and be like, oh, same thing's happening to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I I feel like there's something that's quite... Of course, it's spiritual, but there's like a... um, I'm not going to say ancient because the program's not ancient. Yeah. But there's a there's almost like a a level of um of like a something that filters through from the past generations of all the other people that have worked the program mm. and all the other people that are currently working the program because it's a worldwide thing. Mm. And you're connect you're plugged into that and it's almost like because of that something's evolving on a subconscious level that we're not aware of when we work the steps. Yeah. And things shift. I mean, like after step five. Yeah, that that was a lot of things changed. Same. And actually, I almost want to say, because I know this word can be quite woo woo, but it's my way of manifesting as well. Like it's been the biggest tool to fast track anything I'm calling in my life, whether it be moving into a house or something in my relationship or something even a physical item i think i've seen it night and day happen over and over again by working the steps the consciousness around it yeah something yeah i don't think we need to know what no (laughs) i think that our brains can't grasp it yeah honestly and i love that yeah because if i'm trying to figure shit out then it's usually not gonna work (laughs) it's true because my brain is um you know, my mind is, it, it's often a, a bit of a scary place to be. Yeah. And it's important that I'm plugged into something that's greater than me. Yeah. That isn't my mind. Yeah. I remember someone once told me, don't go up into your head alone. alone. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's two sides of that, but I could really relate to that in a way of just surrounding myself with tools that really help. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like we dove into so much, so many different tangents and topics, and I just feel so grateful that I'm sitting here now, 
here we are nestled into my kitchen and we get to talk about the reality of life and something that I actually don't really speak openly about often because I find that this is the one place I feel the most real and the most I can let my guard down. Um, so yeah, it feels vulnerable for me to speak about it. It's precious to you. It is. It's really precious. It's really precious to to both of us. Yeah. Which is why our relationship works and it's really special too, because we get that. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like I can, the one place, not sorry, the one place, there are different places that I can feel really real Mm. and seen on any different levels of where I'm going to feel. It's authentic. Yeah. Thanks, Luz. No worries. Let's do it again. We'll do it again. <laughs> Cheers. It, don't worry, it's just tea, guys. I don't drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's conversation. If you have admired and found insight in any territory we covered, please share with someone you admire or leave us a review. Thank you again, and your support is so appreciated. See you next week.